Welcome into the Clap Trap. Brought to you by Ultrasound Productions. Now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. All right, welcome to another episode of the Clap Trap. It is 2023. We are excited for that, but first we got to start off with obviously thoughts and everything going out to Damar Hamlin and his family and his recovery and that shocking incident that happened on Monday Night Football. Terrible thing. Uh, we, we keep getting updates uh, at, that things are improving. His functions are improving. He's woken up. He was writing, uh, you know, able to write out messages, basically. And one of the first things, I, I love this about uh, DeMar Hamlin and and the whole situation. Everything is terrible about it. Uh, obviously, we're all thinking and hoping for the best with him. And it seems to be going in that direction. So it's a little bit easier to talk about right now. But I love the fact that one of the first things that he said when he was able to write was, did we win the game? I mean, that's ultimate football guy, ultimate team player, competitor. Uh, that's the kind of like championship mindset that you want to have. And and the the doctors, I believe, from what I've heard, they kind of went back to him and said, you, you know, I, I don't know if this is a joke or not. I, I don't know. I, I thought I saw this on social media. But the, the doctor said, hey, you know, you won the game of life. You won life. And uh, if that is the case, then I hope that he kind of, in his own head, assuming that everything ends up being okay the way that I'm hoping that it will be. In his head, he kind of scoffed that and said, no, tell me if I won the game or not. I want to know what my team did. So, uh, you know, yeah, just thoughts going out to Hamlin and the family, the Bills, uh, everything going on with that whole situation. It was a a shocking moment, uh, something that I don't want to get too much into, obviously, because everyone's already said everything about it. It's a touchy subject for a lot of people. Uh, nobody wants to be talking about, you know, the NFL and way the NFL season is going to happen until we know that DeMar Hamlin is okay. And it seems like he's doing better. So, uh, you know, towards the end of the show, we might get into a little bit of all that kind of stuff. Maybe the, what they're talking about for possibilities for the playoffs and, you know, what that means for the Patriots and things like that. But we, we, we all know that the major thing here is that DeMar Hamlin ends up being okay. And uh, we hope and, uh, you know, it seems like, like I said, from all the reports, some really good things coming out uh, that he actually was aware. He knows who he is. He's able to even say things like, did we win the football game? That's huge uh, for him. So happy to hear that. Uh, Also want to say thoughts going out uh, to former Cleveland Brown running back Peyton Hillis, who is in critical condition right now after, you know, being a hero and saving his children from drowning in the ocean, he is now in critical condition. So if you haven't heard about that one yet as well, uh, thoughts going out to Peyton Hillis and his family, hoping for a recovery there as well. I, what is up with 2023, man, so far? I don't understand. Uh, some some crazy major injuries, things on the field, off the field so far. Uh, not a fan of it, obviously, but, you know, it's it's the nature of the beast sometimes. It is a very physical and violent sport, at least for the things on the field. Uh, obviously, Peyton Hill's stuff is off the field, and once again, you just hope the best for him and his family. Uh, but, man, 2023, knock it off. Uh, you know, let's get to the, the good stuff, all right? Uh, but speaking of good stuff that happened, uh, we had the Celtics bouncing back from a terrible loss uh, to the Thunder the other day. 
or the other night, I should say, where they gave up 150 points to a team that didn't even have Shea Alexander. Um, that's their best player. Uh, I, I believe it what it came out afterwards that Brogdon, I believe it was Brogdon who said that once we heard as a team that Shea Gilgis, I'm always going to butcher his name, Alexander was out of the game. They kind of, you know, took a sigh of relief and took their foot off the gas, thought that they were going to be able to kind of just work through that one easily as a Thunder, a team that is not considered a, a, a threat anyways, didn't have their best player. So it made it, you know, a, a situation where the team was thinking less of their opponent and you saw what happened. You saw what happened, 150 points given up uh, in, in that one. Not much else you can say about it. Terrible defense. Just not the effort that you wanted to see out of them. But the effort that you did want to see was in the next game. The next game, they really made up for it last night. Uh, and, and that game against the Mavericks, they were able to hold MVP candidate Luka, Luka Doncic to a, a bad shooting night. Uh, Jason Tatum ended up with a triple-double. Grant Williams and Malcolm Brogdon were crushing it off the bench in the beginning to spark a, a big lead. That was great. Uh, so, you know, it, it was a good game overall for the team, and we'll keep breaking down little things that happened in that one. But it's time for our first break before we come back and keep talking about the Celtics and more here on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. We're back and talking about the Celtics. Last night they played against the Mavericks. As far as, you know, kind of the still the pregame news before the game last night, we did find out that the team had made a trade. The Celtics have made a trade, the first one of the year. Uh, I'm assuming one of the only trades of the year, to be honest, but they were mo moving on from Noah Vonley, a guy who you had seen a little bit throughout the season. He had a couple of moments of maybe, you can say, decent basketball. Wasn't a part of the rotation whatsoever. The guy's getting you know maybe five minutes tops in games. Uh, just to kind of go in there and spell some guys. <clears throat> so the Celtics traded Noah Vonley and Cash to the Spurs, who are going to end up just waiving him. They're just going to waive the contract anyways. So Noah Vonley will be available to other teams. Um, but the real reason why the Celtics did this was to make space. And some people are speculating, are they trying to make space so they can go out there and make a trade? This way, now you have an extra roster spot. You can make an uneven trade. We could go out there and do a three-for-two type of deal, two-for-one type of deal, take on an extra player, uh, and, and still have enough roster space, not have to move anyone else, that kind of stuff. I don't think a trade is going to happen. I don't see why it would. Really, what, what are you going to go out there and trade one of your assets now that you have uh, to try and improve this team, a team that is already finals caliber? At this point, yes, we've had some slumps recently, and they've come back down to earth from their outrageous start where they were shooting the lights out in every single matchup. But what what else are you going to go for on this team? I, I've, I've heard some people want another big man to try and help with the depth at that position because you have Rob Williams, who's at any moment could go down with another injury. Sorry, Rob, that's just how you are at this point in your career. It's been that way the whole time. 
You have Al Horford, who's obviously on the last years of his career, and we're trying to you know squeeze the most out of him. He's trying to squeeze the most out of the end of his career, and he's done a great job that playoff run last year being a big moment for him towards the end of his career. But Al Horford, it shouldn't be going out there and giving you tons of minutes at one of the most physical, if not the most physical positions in the sport at center. So you need maybe another big man. Yes, you have Luke Cornett, uh, and, and he can kind of fill in at times. But do you really have the good depth to bang down low with some of the bigger guys when you get into the playoffs? I mean, you'll have you know players that do or teams that do have big men that you will have to guard against. Joel Embiid being one of the major ones in our own conference that you have to deal with. And sure, it's great to have Rob Williams out there, and he's going to be a big part of being able to defend those types of guys, but. We're always worried about the possible injury, and we're always worried about the possibility of the depth not being enough enough to go against those guys. So it's nice, as much as you know, I thought that it was it was fun to see Noah Vonley actually at times looking like he could still play basketball. That was cool, Uh, but we didn't really need him for anything on this team. So he wasn't the one that was going to give you big man depth. That's for sure. So they needed to trade Noah Vonley before January seventh or else his contract was going to be fully guaranteed. So this timing, make, timing makes perfect sense. Trade deadline is coming up anyways. You need to get rid of him before Saturday, and uh, you did so. So good job by Brad to open up another spot there. Uh, and now I'm expecting not a trade, but I'm expecting this team to be in the buyout market, right? You got an empty open spot. You got these players, veteran type players that are going to be looking at it uh, around the trade deadline saying, hey, what can I do to get onto a team that has a championship possibility? They're going to be looking at the Celtics now, which is this is something that we've been wanting for years on this team, right? You were hoping that Tatum and Brown could get to the point or this team could get to a point with Tatum where the older guys were going to start looking at them as like, that's a great destination to go if you want to try and ring chase at the end of your career. I mean, Blake Griffin's already here. He knows what's up, and he's loving being a Celtic. We're loving having him. But there's going to be other players as well, and I think that that might be where you go and try and get a little more big man depth if possible. Obviously, you have to look and see who the candidates are, uh, who you would be able to pull over to this team. But it makes a lot of sense for them to keep that roster spot open because they should be a top candidate for a team that all veterans want to go and play for. That's where we're at right now. And that's got to be a great feeling for all Celtics fans that we're at that point. uh, Once again, I I mean, you haven't been at that point since back in the 2008 to 2012 days where you had KG and Paul Pierce and you were able to kind of put together a a championship caliber team year after year after year. Players are going to want to go to that team, veteran players. So now the Celtics have that ability once again, and they're going to take advantage of it. Brad Stevens knows what he's doing with that one. So I'm happy to see that they're preparing for that. And I'm hopeful that that's where you're going to get your big man depth from. That's, that's where it is because at this point, excuse me, I don't think that there's any other position that really needs more backups, more, more, uh, you know, clogging of the rotation. I, I mean, Rob Williams did enough of that on his own when he came back in, clogging up the rotation a little bit. So we're gonna, we're gonna hope that, uh, or I'm gonna hope here on the claptrap that they're going after a big man with that uh, buyout market. They're not in the market for a trade. I don't see how that would work out. 
I don't even want to begin to look into possibilities because I just feel like that would be a silly way to, to manage your assets if they were to go into that. So uh, <clears throat> good thing for them to get rid of Noah Vonley. Uh, and I hope that he finds a place where he can actually continue playing in his career. But we'll see. And it's not going to be with the Celtics. We know that. So, <clears throat> excuse me. I got something going on with my uh, I'm congested a little bit today, I guess. But the Celtics Mavericks happened last night. And it's a team that was obviously caught off guard against the Thunder before be, due to their own, you know, thoughts going into the game about how their best player, what they weren't playing against the, the other team's best player, you automatically turn it off a little bit. And then they jump on you because you're going to get everybody's best game every single time because you're once again, you're at that status. You're at that championship contender status where every team is going to look at you and say, this is a true test for us. Can we go out there and compete against the Celtics who were last year in the finals and this year dominating once again? Can we go out there and compete against them? So you're going to get that every single night. So you can never really have that mindset of we can take it a little bit easy against this team. They don't have their best player, or at least you shouldn't. Now, obviously, this team is going to do what they got to do, and they're going to have their own thoughts about how they go into every single game. That's how it goes. But I don't think you should ever have that mindset as a Celtics squad. Okay, time for our second break. But when we come back, we'll continue talking about the Celtics Mavericks game and more here on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. We're back and talking about the Celtics Mavericks game. Let's get back into it. You go into the game against the Mavericks last night, and they were full tilt. They knew what was going on. They knew how to get back up for this game. They came out strong right away. They got in a little foul trouble early. I mean, everybody had two fouls in that first uh, quarter, it seemed like. Tatum, Brown, Derek White had two fouls. He ended up moving forward, multiple guys getting multiple fouls throughout. So that was tough. I mean, the Celtics didn't even shoot their first free throws until about two minutes into the second quarter. Crazy. Uh, so happy to see that they were still able to pull it out, even though the beginning of the game looked like it was going to be a tough one for them based on, yes, high fans, based on how uh, the foul game was going and the refs were calling it at that point. But the thing that actually kind of saved them in the beginning was the fact that the bench stepped up. The bench stepped up huge. I mean, we're talking in the first quarter, they had 18 of the Celtics' 29 points come from that bench unit. Mostly Brogdon and Grant Williams. Grant Williams was looking like a completely different player to start off that game because he wasn't even just sitting in the corner waiting for spot up threes. He was driving to the lane and actually getting he got an and one at one point off of a spin move into the lane. He was doing other things than he normally does and having himself a start to the game. And then from there, the starters kind of woke up and you have Tatum, like I said, ending the game with a triple double in that one. Jalen Brown also had a good game in this one. And though the Mavericks made attempts to get back in it, there was a lot of uh, three-point barrages at different times where they were trying to get back into it. Every single time the, the Mavericks tried to get a little bit closer, the Celtics would step on their throat, go on a little bit of a run, and that thing was over. So great job by them overall uh against a, a team that is led by Luka Doncic Luka is an absolute animal even when he's not shooting well that guy I, I just the his style of game that he has is so crazy to see at 23 years old he he is a top tier guy in the league he is an MVP candidate and unfortunately I still think he's at least as good as Tatum if not better 
at this point. I, I just think that everything that he's able to do out on the floor is everything that Tatum can do out on the floor. And I think that Luka Doncic's passing is a little bit better. Maybe Tatum's defense is better than Luka's. I see at time. And he was in, in foul trouble in this one. Luka was. So the defense, he kind of sagged off at times. You have to remind yourself of that. But I think overall, Tatum's defense probably better. Luka's passing better. And those guys are just absolutely monsters and and I can't wait to see how their those careers go throughout uh the future because I feel like those guys will be ba- battling uh it, a lot in the future Ho- hopefully or or we'll see if the Mavericks can kind of put together more of a team around Luka uh it seems like it's still just the Luka show for most of the most of the time there so we'll see if they're able to get the, him any help uh to be able to get to the finals or, or anything like that. So it was a great game, though. Great game overall. Uh, Celtics bouncing back after getting embarrassed. Brogdon and Grant, uh, Grant Williams sparking the early lead. That was a great job. And team ball. Team ball was a big part of it. Uh, I mean, the amount of assists uh, assist to made shots in this game was unbelievable. The ratio that they were getting there, uh, very happy about that. And you know for a fact that whenever the Celtics are getting assists, that's when they're going to be at their best, when they're moving the ball, getting it to the open man, hitting their three-point shots. They are going to be a, dare I say, unbeatable team. So they have it looked bad recently. There has been some moments. You obviously had some slumps and everything like that. But it's nice to see that they still have that ability to bounce back whenever they want to. That shows that they know where they should be, the mentality that they should have going forward. So I'm happy about everything with the Celtics right now. There's not much else to say about them, in all honesty. They're, they're doing good, uh, even with some of the hiccups that they've been having. This this is the kind of game. I do think that the Mavericks, as much as I just said that they don't have anything other than Duke, Luka Doncic, I do think that they are an, enough of a team to – they could have e- very easily, if you weren't ready for that game, shown you up on their own home floor. So happy to see them bounce back on the road trip. We'll see how things going as as we continue on with the season and the Celtics. Uh, but I'm going to keep my eye on that buyout market because that is where I think the Celtics are going to strike to get another player and try to get some more depth, hopefully at that that big man position. Hopefully. We'll, we'll see how things go. But we had another game that happened last night for the Boston sports world, and that was the Bruins playing against the L.A. Kings. That game didn't start until 10.30 p.m., so if you stayed up for it, congrats. I was only able to get into the third period, and then I passed out right before the fireworks, it seemed like, happened. I was able to watch the replay uh, this morning and, and see the highlights and everything. Looked like Trent Frederick woke up after that fight that he had in the second period. Happy about that. But before we get into the breakdown of the actual game, before the game started... You had things happen for this team. Linus Allmark, he is going to his first ever All-Star game. He was selected, as he rightfully should be, with the best record, goaltender record in the league, the best goals against average, save percentage. He's right up there. So he is statistically the best goalie in the league right now. Of course he has to be there. Of course he's got to be the goalie for the Atlantic Division. And so I'm happy to see that whole thing. The other news, obviously, Jake DeBrusque going on long-term IR. He will be out for at least four weeks with that fracture in his fibula. Uh, He played through that at the Winter Classic. 
had those two goals. Great game. Winter Classic was great, by the way. Happy to watch that whole thing. I, I love it for, not to get off on too much of a tangent, tangent here, but I love the Winter Classic because I think it brings a lot to the sport from a casual standpoint. I think it brings a lot of the 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 you know interested fans who are thinking what what's going on they're playing at Fenway Park I'll tune in and check that out that kind of a thing there I have talked to a lot of people who think that it's you know kind of silly and it's uh you know just a a circus show kind of thing and it's kind of a disadvantage for whatever teams are playing in it but I could say that about a shootout as well uh, I mean shootouts decide games throughout the entire season most of the Bruins losses have been uh or in overtime have been shootout losses so you could say the similar thing to that. It's kind of a showy, flashy thing, circus style, have fun for the crowd or the uh, the casual fan kind of thing there. So uh, the, the, the Winter Classic was cool. Uh, and if anything, there's another team that we're going to talk about a little bit that maybe it sparked some interest in with the Red Sox being at Fenway. So we'll get into that in a little bit. But first, we got to take another break. But when we come back, we'll continue talking about the Bruins here on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. We're back and talking all about the Bruins against the Kings game. Here we go. It, it was it was nice to see, and obviously a great win by the Bruins, able to take care of business. Jake DeBrus potting that second goal for the game winner at the end of the day. But we find out now that he has a fracture in his fibula, which is a bone in the leg, which is not really a, a weight-bearing bone, but, I mean, that's going to hurt every single time you plant down on that. So good on Jake DeBrusque. Tough guy, I guess. That's what we're going to say now about him even though he couldn't handle Bruce Cassidy, but whatever. You play through injuries, now you become tougher. So congrats to him. I don't know, Jake DeBrusque always a little bit. I'm always a little weary about him. When's he going to request another trade if he doesn't like things going on? But we're not going to get into that whole thing. He'll be out for at least four weeks, it says. Uh, so the Bruins brought up Chris Wagner to bring some depth uh, to the, the forward side of things. He didn't play last night. He had Craig Smith. And, and that fourth line slotting in with different players. Uh, but it wasn't going to be Chris Wagner. He's just brought up for that depth piece and everything. I would have hoped that it would have been Fabian Lizell uh, that would have been brought into this mix, <clears throat> excuse me, as a depth piece, because I would have liked to see what the kid can do. I mean, he has 19 points in 20 games with Providence. So it would have been nice to see uh, Fabian Lizell get into this and, and maybe get a few shifts, maybe get a game in where you could have seen what the kid can do at the pro level because, he, I mean, he seems to be okay at the Providence level. Let's see if he can take that next step. I'm not talking about having him for the rest of the year, but while Jake DeBrusque is out, maybe we'll be able to have him for a few games, see what the kid can do. But you couldn't do it right now because he was too busy getting kicked out of the uh, of the World Juniors uh, in the game against the Team USA, where he was kicked out for a headshot early in the first period. So uh, you don't want to see that kind of stuff happening. But he, he also didn't really have a good juniors tournament, if we're being honest. No points throughout the entire, I think they played six or seven games or something like that, leading up to those final games. So uh, tough look for him in that tournament, but I still want to see Lysel get into this team and get in for a few games. Let's start testing out what we got in these young kids. Uh, these, these draft classes that are sitting in Providence waiting, young kids 
Let's see what we got. I, I I know what Chris Wagner is. I like Chris Chris Wagner for what he is. He's a grinder. You can put him on that fourth line. He can be a good depth piece. We already know that. But do, we don't know what Fabian Lysel can be at the pro level. Can he be somebody who can give you a couple of goals and and give you a little more skill in that in those lower lines or something like that? I want to find that out. So we'll see how that goes. Um, speaking of the uh, the the. Uh, tournament that just happened with with the the juniors the world juniors there team usa got screwed i don't know if you guys are watching this i know that this is kind of a side note who really cares about this it's not even it's not like the olympics or anything like that but the team usa team got screwed against canada when there was multiple goalie interference calls on some bs really goalie interference calls on a couple of goals that should have happened for team usa one of them that should have tied it at three to three the other one that should have put them to a one goal deficit at four to three both of them get recalled uh team usa ends up losing canada goes on to the the championship and they win so they get the gold medal in this tournament the brew uh, i keep wanting to say the bruins the team usa did rebound and beat sweden in that game where i was mentioning where lysel got kicked out for the headshot and lysel was one of the best sweden players from a from an attribute standpoint not from how he had done in that tournament so far so you left them a little bit high and dry and the Team USA team was able to win 8-7 to seven dramatically in overtime. So that was a great job, earning them a third place or a bronze medal in that one. Happy to see that. Happy to see the young kids of Team USA able to hold their own and everything, even though they kind of got screwed against the Canadian team. But whatever, we won't get too much into that. Like I said, that tournament, it is what it is. Nice to see, but you know, not, not something that we're fully focused on. Uh, as, as hockey fans, even I, I think, I mean, unless you're an extreme diehard hockey fan and you just like every single thing that involves hockey, I don't know how many of the Bruins fans were really paying attention to. We got we got a lot of stuff going on with our own hockey team. We can't be focusing on these younger kids that are in this side tournament here. So, uh, no disrespect, no disrespect to that t- that tournament. But you had a game against the Kings, like I said. I mean, the game. Whenever a game starts at 10.30 Eastern time, it's going to be hard to catch the entire thing. I'm not saying anything new. Uh, maybe I'm becoming one of those old people, too, that, you know, you can't stay up that late. I think it's a little ridiculous to act like you can stay up until 1 a.m. like it's nothing. But uh, game started at 10.30. I was there to watch as much as I could. Got into the third period, fell asleep. So I had to wake up and watch the replays, watch the uh, watch everything, the highlights that had gone on. But this is an interesting one to start off. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, you had the the Kings jumping out to that 1-0 lead. You had the Brad Marchand extreme tantrum that was going on throughout this one due to a what he and I thought was a mistripping call. I still don't think you fly off the handle like that, but he it was to me it was a missed call. It was a missed call. But to then go. And honestly, have a reaction like you're a three-year-old child that didn't get their way. You start slamming your stick on the ice. You go over to the bench. You slam it up against the boards. You go get onto the bench. You're, you're still yelling at the ref. You're slamming it on the side of the boards until your stick breaks. I mean, what did you expect was going to happen? Obviously, they were going to give you a game mis- or a uh, an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty at some point, Brad. You can't just keep going and going and going. I think he gave you the first. 
you know, little tantrum spurt or whatever and didn't call anything on you. Then as you keep going, eventually he's sitting there like, well, yeah, obviously I have to call something on you, Brad, but it's time for another break. We'll come back after this and keep talking about the Bruins here on 90.7 WKKL. The Clap Trap with your host, Zach Clap. We're back and talking all about the Bruins. Let's get back to it. I don't know. We we all know as Bruins fans that Brad is at any time ready to unlock that savage side of himself where he can't control his emotions. And if he doesn't like what's going on, he's going to flip out and he's going to do it in his own Brad Marchand way. So you knew that that was always a possibility in any Bruins game. And you got to see that last night. So you had that. It got a little chippy at times. There was that Frederick fight, which we'll get into. But started all off with Marchand throwing a tantrum about a mistripping call, which I think it was a mistripping call, but to go to that level afterwards, I don't know, Brad, maybe turn it down just a couple of notches, and at least you won't get the penalty. I I don't know. Maybe. We'll see how things go in the future for Brad, but that is always a chance for him. But speaking of that first goal that the Kings were able to get, I I mean, you obviously had McVoy, Grizzlick, and Bergeron big involved in that one uh, as, as the Kings were able to keep it in. Bergeron and I believe it was McAvoy tried to get it up the boards Bergeron wasn't able to continue it up there the defenseman keeps it in the zone they're able to get it back down underneath the Bruins net and a quick pass right out in front of the net gets an easy goal for uh, Denault who was just sprinting right up in that slot Uh, that one I mean it was on all three of those guys, McAvoy, Grizzlick and Bergeron in that one there but I would put most of it on Grizzlick uh, I think that in that moment, he was a little bit lost on who he was supposed to be trying to stop. D- uh, Denault there comes right up behind Grizzlick without Grizzlick even understanding or knowing that he was there. Grizzlick's trying to get to the guy that's trying to wrap around the net. Easy pass to the wide open Denault right in front. And there was nothing that Omar, could, I mean, uh, Swayman could do in that one. So you can't put that one on Swayman, in my opinion, because... The defense needs to be better, needs to have more awareness of the situation and and know who you're trying to hold out from the front of the net there because he had a wide open walk right in. So Grizzlick, we got to we gotta not lose track of players like that. M- McAvoy too and Bergeron was involved. So that was tough. But, uh, you know, that, that one, I can't put it on Swayman there. Uh, you keep going, though, and it was a good keep by McAvoy. He almost, you know, immediately turns his game around. Great keep. Moves the puck down to Marchand. Marchand passes over to Pasta in the slot, and he's able to snipe off a quick wrister, pass a goaltender to tie things up at one apiece. Good job by them. Happy to see it. Moving on into the further into the second period, you get that penalty, power play goal, uh, for for the Bruins, as it was a simple face-off win, couple of passes, ends up with a Marshan one-timer from that right circle dot, and he's able to blast one by. You get up two to one in that one. But the Kings bounce right back. I don't know what it is about this upstart Kings team, but so, they play us well. They beat us the first time around. They were going for a season sweep on the, the Bruins, a, a top-tier team in the league, the best-tier all-power rankings say. The Bruins are the best team in the league, and you're going to lose to this upstart Kings team? I don't think so. So uh, they, But they were able to bounce back once again. They were able to get a good entry pass, good passing around the perimeter, D to D, and a right pass Swayman 
This one, I put a little bit more on Swayman. I think that you could have been there. You, you should have been able to track the passing across. He was moving from his left to his right. And I thought that he had a better angle on this one and could actually see what was going on. Wasn't able to make the save. But, you know, it, it doesn't end up killing us at the end of the day. If any game where Swayman is letting up two goals or less, I'm happy with it. I'm happy with it, in all honesty, because this team should be able to score three or more in any given game. They've proven that against all levels of teams throughout this entire season. Top-tier teams, lower-tier teams, they can score. So anytime your defense and your goalie holds you, the other team to two or less, I'm expecting us to be in that game. At very minimum, tying it at two to two. So Great job by the Bruins goaltending. Great job by the defense holding them there. I think that this one, more on Swayman, though, and the tie-up goal. So you go further into the second period, and we have the Trent Frederick against uh, Brandon Lemieux fight. It was a good one. It was a good scrap by the two guys. Trent kind of sweatered Lemieux a little bit in there, but both of them got shots in. Happy to see a good, clean fight uh, between the two guys. And it was funny because afterwards, Trent Frederick was talking about it, and apparently he has a, a big deal with Lemieux because he said in his quotes afterwards that every single time that I see this guy out there, every time he comes up to me, I say yes to fighting him because I don't really like him. So I, I want to fight him any chance that I get. I love that, uh, Trent Frederick. I know he's kind of a hothead, and he likes to fight, and he likes to be the guy that throws his weight around. But, hey, when you got – I'm a grudge guy myself. If you got a grudge against this guy, every single chance you can get to try and fight him, you're going to try and fight him. I do think that Frederick got the best of him in this one. Like I said, a little bit of a sweatering, pulled that, that jersey over the top of his head and was – throwing a couple in there, but I do think that Lemieux got a few shots in too. So uh, I would just barely give it an edge to Frederick in this one, but good scrap, good scrap, boys. That was a good one right there. Uh, and then all of a sudden, other they, it, it seemed like everything from then on out just fell the Bruins' way, in all honesty. I, I mean, can we talk about that almost goal that got past Swayman, the, the, the shot that went right through, I think it went underneath his arm maybe, squirted through, goes right back, and, and it looked like it was just, you know, ready to go right into that net. All of a sudden, it stops along the goal line and kind of nestles itself up against the post, not inside of the goal line, so not a goal, and Swayman's able to scramble back, grab the puck away, and keep it from being a 3-2 to lead for the Kings. That was lucky. That was one of the luckiest bounces I've seen for the for the Bruins in years, I would say, in years. So talk about puck luck in that one. Then you go into the third period after being outshot 21 to 14 by the Kings in the first two periods. And Trent Frederick explodes. He's able to get two goals in that one. Pasta ends up netting the open netter to finish things off. So great job by them. Like I said, I missed out on all the live fireworks by going to bed. But, hey, when you wake up in the morning and you see a 5-2 to two victory for your team, that puts a smile on your face either way. That, that puts a smile on your face. And we're going to put another smile on your face when you come back after this to listen to more of the Claptrap here on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clap. We're back and talking all about the Bruins right now. Here we go. And it was a good one for this squad who is the first team in the NHL to reach 30 wins. Who would have thought going into this year, who would have thought that this Bruins team was going to be this dominant, this, this good throughout and consistently good. They are 34 and four. 
They are 30 and eight, basically, uh, with four overtime losses. Most of those overtime, I think three out of those four overtime losses are in shootouts, too. At least two of them are. I know that for a fact. So uh, still haven't lost at home in regulation. That's another big part of it. Uh, and, and it was looking like that way in the Winter Classic, like there might be a chance for them to lose that one. That would have been a horrible way to lose your first game in regulation at home, at home, but you're at Fenway Park. That would have been something. So, I, I mean, hey, a heck of a time to be a Bruins fan, heck of a season. They are going all out, and we are getting closer and closer to that trade deadline. So now we're going to start looking more and more as we go closer Two trade prospects for this Bruins team. And please, Don Sweeney, go out there and get us somebody. Especially now with the loss of Jake DeBrusque for at least four weeks. Now I definitely think you need another uh, depth piece at forward. And you need that defensive defenseman. So I know I say it all the time, but this is this is now going to be the time, Don Sweeney. Go out there, get another depth, depth forward. No, I don't think it should be Chris Wagner, though I do like what his game is about. Uh, no, I don't think it should be Fabian Lysel, though I think that they should give him a shot or one of these other uh, younger kids, Lauke or whatever his name is, or Locke or whatever, however you pronounce it, who was on the team earlier this year. Give one of those guys another shot uh, while while DeBrusque is out. But I do want uh, Sweeney to go after maybe a depth piece, at least, at least a depth piece for the forward, somebody who can be in those top three lines, I'm hoping, that can maybe score a little bit. Somebody who's more of a veteran presence, who's been there and knows about the moment. Those are the types of guys that I want to bring into this locker room right now. So uh, we'll see what Sweeney can do. Uh, I have hope. I have faith when it comes to trades, when it comes to signings, things like that. I don't have faith when it comes to drafting for Don Sweeney, but I have faith in the other side. Uh, so we'll see how he's able to do there. Uh, and and hopefully he's able to get somebody, sign somebody, whatever he needs to do to help out this team. So there's another team, though, that made a major signing recently, and we got to talk about them. That's the Boston Red Sox. I said it before, the Winter Classic game, you had a lot of fans booing John Henry when they saw him. You know, had a lot of signs, even a sign that was uh, detained taken away from a fan that just said pay Raphael Devers on it. So you know how, you know, butthurt they were being about that whole situation. Obviously, John Henry is a partial owner of the Penguins. So that was an interesting scenario for him. He's watching that game and he's thinking, well, this is the team I own, but this is the hometown team. This is my stadium in Boston, Fenway Park. This is the Boston Bruins, but they're playing against my Pittsburgh Penguins. You don't know how he was thinking about that one, but either way, the fans were booing him when they saw him. And rightfully so, I think, because they have turned that that Red Sox team into a joke. They turned it into a joke. You put Bloom in charge. You gave him his... Uh, limited budget and limited abilities to be able to do anything. And he wasn't able to do anything with it. And now it seems like you're kind of backtracking because the Red Sox have finally signed Raphael Devers to a an extension. 11 years, $331 million for Raphael Devers. He is going to be a Red Sox for the majority of his career, if not his entire career, this should bring him up to what, 35, 36 years old, something like that. If he plays through the entire contract, that is, uh, it's going to average around thir- a little over 30 million a year for a player who is considered a top tier batter in the entire league. He has gotten much better defensively at third base. This is going to be, or this is 
a top six contract all time in the MLB. I think it's the highest paid uh, third baseman in all in the history of the MLB. So it's a, a monumental contract. But, 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 and I'm not the only one who's saying this. Let's not act like this saves the entire offseason. Let's not act like all of a sudden because you did the thing that everyone was yelling and screaming that you had to do that now you're in the clear. I still think that this team is going to stink this year, this Red Sox team, but this allows us to build that core. So you did the right thing, but it seems like Bloom and, and Henry, John Henry, were forced into doing this more than they wanted to do it. Right. They didn't. I mean, you saw what happened after Xander Bogarts. They were getting absolutely crushed. And then you you have Rafael Devers waiting and you already knew that the Mookie bet situation, you did horrible with that one. I mean, obviously, there's barely any type of a return that you got for Mookie bets, who was a homegrown franchise player. You trade him for basically nothing. You got Verdugo, Jeter Downs, who's. Nobody cares about him. Verdugo's in meh, okay player. You got nothing, basically, out of that trade for Mookie Betts. So, John Henry has no trust in Heim Bloom for trading. Heim Bloom has no trust in Heim Bloom for trading. This team was not going to be able to sit there and think that they were going to get the right return for Raphael Devers when Heim Bloom and John Henry were going to look for ponies instead of horses. You know, that kind of a thing. So, they did what they were supposed to do. They signed Raphael Devers the way that everyone was was screaming for, and and I commend them for that. I do. I honestly do, because I thought that they were going to a place where they were just going to let it go and trade him middle of this season. But obviously, the Xander Bogart stuff must have gotten to them, because at this point, everyone is yelling about how bad that is that you let Xander Bogarts go for nothing. Yes, the Padres way overpaid for him. We get that. But the fact that you weren't able to get anything for him, the fact you didn't try to trade him last year when you knew you weren't going to try and sign him, when you were $100 million off of what he wanted to get, you didn't get anything for a player that was you know, the face, um, the face of the franchise. He was. After Mookie Betts left, Xander Bogarts becomes face of the franchise. Maybe he was before that, but he definitely was after. And you got and you let him go for nothing. So I, I don't know. That Padres lineup is going to be absolutely stacked, by the way. Once they get Fernando Tatis back from his suspension, that, that lineup is going to be insane. But we gotta take another break. But when we come back, we'll keep talking about the Red Sox here on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. We're back and wrapping up all the thoughts on the Red Sox before we get into some Patriots talk. Let's get back to it. This Red Sox team is nowhere near out of the deep water right now that they've put themselves into. They they still have no starting pitching staff. They sure they added some to their bullpen. Their bullpen will be better. Their offensive lineup is going to suffer now after losing both Xander Bogarts and JD Martinez. Yes, you'll have Devers. That's a good thing. Yes, you'll have Story. That's a good thing. But this team is is going to be a lot of question marks on the offensive side of things. The only thing over the last couple of seasons that you could rely on was the bats for this Red Sox team, a team that made a run into the playoffs and close enough to the to a World Series championship based off of just their offense alone. Pretty much, uh, that was that was something that you know this whole organization or this fandom could go back and and tip their cap hey at least you're having a good batting lineup now 
you don't have a lineup and you still don't have a pitching staff because every single thing that I'm seeing the team put out or or the people who cover the team put out is they have Chris Sale as the number one starter in that thing, you're automatically wrong right out the gate. Chris Sale, Chris Sale cannot be relied upon for this team going forward. So I don't know what you're doing there. They got some guys like Bello who are coming up. Uh, Tanner Hawk, obviously, he's another one. Garrett Whitlock, we'll see what they use him in the rotation for. I don't know what those guys are going to look like going into this season. Obviously, they're still very young. They're still developing and things like that. You go out there and you get Corey Kluber, who is extremely old, and now they're looking at it. That's the other thing. I see Chris Sale as your number one, Corey Kluber as your number two. Right out the gate, how do you have trust in either one of those guys? I I don't understand that. So, uh, excuse me, you still don't have an ace on the staff. You let go of uh, Nathan Avaldi. That's another one who was a a you know at least decent. He could be your number two or three starter in a good rotation. I think uh, he's gone. So what is this team going to do? They're they're p- people who are covering the team, the diehard fans who act like the Red Sox can't do anything wrong, are acting like once you got Raphael Devers, oh look, good, great off season, we did it, good job guys, that's it, pat on the back. Can't believe that we were able to handle this offseason and, and do it so well now that we have Raphael Devers. No, that's not the case. That is not the case. You certainly still have to do more. This team, as it is constructed right now, will still stink. Uh, that's just that's not even a prediction. That's a fact. That's a fact. So we'll see what the Red Sox are able to do. I don't have much faith, obviously, in this team as of right now but you got me invested you got Rafael Devers back on the team you got the the league changing up some rules I'm ready to go for this Red Sox season I'm still expected to go in there and rip this team apart because I don't think that they're going to be good but I'm ready to go for this Red Sox season so I can't wait for that one to happen see what this team is all about what they're going to be able to handle this year are you going to go out there and get another starting pitcher before this before the season starts you're going to need it you're going to need it you're going to need it. All right. We have one more topic to talk about before we get into the gambling segment, the last week of the gambling show uh, at the end, which you can only get on the podcast or on the YouTube channel. If you follow along there, just search the claptrap if you're looking for it. Last week of the competition, we'll see where the guys are at, including myself. I'll give you a, uh, a little sneak peek for me. I suck. I, I suck. So maybe you don't tune into that. Whatever. Uh, it is what it is. But We have the Patriots coming up this weekend. They are obviously playing against the Bills, and there is a lot of stuff going on around that whole entire situation. Uh, The the Cincinnati Bengals against Bills game is not going to be continued. The NFL has made that decision. They are not going to resume it. They're not going to try and make a Week 19 or any of this other crazy stuff that you heard about. They are just going to have that game not count. And it looks like they have proposed that – the number one overall seed will not necessarily mean that you have home field advantage throughout the playoffs. The way that they're doing it is all based off of major scenarios. And it's very confusing if you if you look into it. I've been trying to kind of piece together everything that goes on. They have listed out, the NFL has listed out three different possible scenarios of how things will go. Basically, all of them stating that if the Bills and the Chiefs end up in the AFC Championship, it will have to be played at a neutral site. So it'll have to be played in New York or in uh, uh, 
Cleveland or where, you know, it'll have to be in a site where neither team gets that advantage. And hopefully it's in between both of the states, you know, roughly the same so that there is no major advantage for one team over the other. That's what seems to be the case because the way that they put things out and I have it right here, I'll try and read it off and make sense of it right now. You have scenario number one, Buffalo and Kansas City both win or tie. A Buffalo versus Kansas City championship game would be at a neutral site. So if they both win this weekend, that's how things will end up going. No, there won't be a bye for the Bills, but if there is an AFC championship game between the two, they will have to play at a neutral site. And the way that things are going, both teams look very favored to win those games. The Chiefs playing against the Raiders, the Bills playing against the Patriots, both teams heavy favorites. So you would expect that to be the outcome. That's scenario one. Scenario two, Buffalo and Kansas City both lose and Baltimore wins or ties. A Buffalo versus Kansas City championship game would be at a neutral site. So it's still the same thing. Even if both teams lose and somebody like the Baltimore Ravens wins, you're still going to get, if it's if it's Bills versus Chiefs in the finals, in the AFC championship, it's going to be played at a neutral site. And then you have... Scenario number three. I know if you're not confused enough by now, you will be soon because scenario number three says if Buffalo and Kansas City both lose and Cincinnati wins a a Buffalo or Cincinnati versus Kansas City championship game would be a neutral site. So if the Bengals get into the mix and they're able to win their game, but both Buffalo and Kansas City lose their games, now you got another team, a third team in the mix, where if they play against Kansas City for the AFC Championship, it'll be at a neutral site. So tons of neutral site possibilities for the AFC Championship games. Possible three teams in that whole scenario. Okay, time to take one last break, especially from all these crazy scenarios. So keep it right here on 90.7 WKKL, because we'll be back after this to finish off the show. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clap. We're back and finishing off the show with going over the scenarios for the possible AFC championship games in the NFL and other things. Let's get back to it. Now, there's other parts of... Scenario three that I don't even really want to get into because it will make it even more confusing if I was to go into it. So we're going to kind of skip over that. I just think that at this point in time, DeMar Hamlin is doing good, right? DeMar Hamlin is doing really good from what everything that we've heard as of right now, as of when I'm recording this, as of when you're hearing this, all the news that I've seen is he's doing much better. He is improving rapidly and they are, he is showing improvements that they, they were surprised to almost see. And that's what we love to hear. We want him to have full function, full abilities, everything coming out of that. And that's what it seems like it's going towards right now. Now, if that is the case, then what we have to figure out is what this whole you know final week is going to actually mean here because there's implications everywhere for this and i'm not going to try and sit here and act like patriots fans should be you know screaming what about us what about us what's going to happen to the patriots and everything like that i mean we don't even really deserve to be in the playoffs if we're being honest right I mean, this is a team that is 8-8 eight and eight right now and about to go into a game against the Bills, which they would probably lose, you know, handily in a normal circumstance if 
the Bills were still trying to play for that number one seed, which they probably should be uh, if they were playing for to get even the two seed in this. They would be playing their starters. Now, obviously, they're coming off of a traumatic event, and you don't know how these players are going to play. But I'm assuming that because Jamar Hamlin is looking so much better at this point, the Bills are going to be full go, ready to whoop our asses, to be honest with you. I think that they're going to come in and they're going to beat up on the Patriots team. They're going to take out all of their anger and frustrations with how everything happened. Uh, and I, I think that that's going to happen. You're going to be going into a Bills stadium that is going to be absolutely rocking, rocking. But now I'm wondering, at this point, with the knowledge that there is there is possibilities that they can still get a it's not really a home field advantage but at least if you get to the AFC championship game it'll be at a neutral site they're obviously going to start their players against the the patriots right they're going to start them in this this game so i don't know it, it doesn't look good for the patriots making the playoffs at this point we're going to need a lot of love to try and get in there i think that you would have to have uh the jets beat the the dolphins still you would have to have the jaguars win uh, there, there's two or three teams that would have to win for the Patriots to get in e if they lose to the Bills. And I think that that's crazy that we're even at this point. I mean, I know a couple of weeks ago, if you were listening to me, I was saying there's just no chance for the Patriots to make the playoffs. I still feel like they're not going to make the playoffs at this point. It, it, it seems like that. I still feel like you're going to go out there against the Bills. You're going to get your doors kicked in. And then something of those three other scenarios is not going to break your way. So they will not be able to make the playoffs. That's what I feel like at this time. I don't know if that's going to be the case. Obviously we don't know that, but it seems like that is going to be what's going to happen. And, uh, you know, as much as I would love to see a Patriots make it into the, the, to the playoffs, that's what you want. I just don't see it in the cards for this team right now. I, I don't see how it's going to break that way for us. A lot of things would have to go right for us. Or you'd have to beat a Bills team that is coming off of, you know, a traumatic, traumatic event. But their their player is starting to do much, much better. So I think that they'll be ready to go. I, I personally feel like they'll be ready to go. And, and I hope that all of their players are getting all of the things that they need to be mentally prepared, to be ready to go for this. Because that's what they deserve. They deserve to be put at ease and 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 they deserve to have DeMar Hamlin come out of this thing as as best as they can. So I don't know. We'll we'll see how things go. But I, I got to be honest, it just doesn't feel good going into the weekend for the Patriots. I know that's not what matters. I know that that's not what matters. What matters is DeMar Hamlin's health at the end of the day. So how can you make it about the Patriots and whether or not the Patriots are going to make the playoffs? I mean, obviously, I still want them to. I'm going to be rooting for them, too. We're going to see how things go in this game. I'm hoping, in all honesty, this is what I'm really hoping for about this Patriots team. I'm hoping that they can go out there and they can put up a good show against the Bills. They can put up a good effort against them so that even if they lose, they're not getting completely blown out. And they can put, you know, start building towards next year and how much better they could possibly be. Now, I know that either way even if they do put up a good effort or if they somehow miraculously beat the bills, people are just going to talk about the fact that obviously the bills weren't in it. Their heads weren't in it, or they didn't start this player or this player wasn't ready to go or that that's that or the other thing. And that is completely reasonable. That is completely reasonable as Patriots fans. We won't be able to say anything about that, but I still want to see it. I still want to see you go out there and put up a good effort. I want to see Mac be able to at least kind of throw a little bit, 
get some Kendrick Bourne involved maybe or something like I don't know what you're going to be able to do. Get the running game going, play some good defense against that team. That's what I want. That's what I'm hoping for. We'll see how things go. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that kind of a thing. I don't have good hopes. I don't have high hopes, I should say, for that happening. But we'll see how it goes, and I'll be talking all about it next week when it does happen. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. I just want to say thank you for everyone tuning in. I appreciate it. 2023 has started off kind of weird so far, but I'm hoping that it'll get better for everyone involved, you, yours, Damar Hamlin, his family, Peyton Hillis, his family, everybody listening along. I hope everybody has a great start to the 2023 year. Things start to get better for people. Uh, I'll be looking forward to that. If you could follow along with the show, like I said, it's up as a podcast on YouTube. Just search The Claptrap. I'm also up on social media, Twitter and Instagram right now at The Claptrap. Uh, and we'll be trying to do some new things in 2023, but it's probably just the same me. <laughs> New year, save me. But I just want to say thank you to everyone. I hope you guys have a great weekend. We'll see you on the other side of it. We'll be able to talk all about the Patriots, the Celtics, the Bruins, maybe some more Red Sox. Who knows? Who knows? But now it's time to get into the gambling competition. For those of you listening on the podcast and on uh, the, the YouTube channel, if not, if you're just listening on the radio, then I hope you have a good one. See you later. Now it's time to win you some money with a couple minutes of gambling talk. All right, let's get this over with. It's the gambling competition, week 18. We have a very tight race at the top, and then uh, myself and Matt have been absolute uh, garbage, so we're completely out of it. Uh, I was trying to make a little run at the end to get back to 500. Not even close. Not even close. Uh, Mendez overtook Cam after Cam's bad weekend last weekend and Mendez's good weekend. So Mendez currently sits at 41 and 44. Ugh. Cam is at 39, 43 and three. We all suck. I'm at 34, 50 and one. Terrible. Never listen to me when gambling. And Matt's at a an abysmal 29, 53 and three. So uh, not good for the guys. Uh, I hope you've been fading because if you faded the entire podcast, you've won money. So uh, good on you if you did. Uh, if you didn't, then sucks for you. Uh, we're going to start off with my picks, just get through them and move on to the real guys in Mendez and Cam who have a chance to actually win. And, and, and Matt has kind of given up at this point. So let's start off with my picks. I am starting off with some player props and then getting into a couple of Spread picks. All right, here we go. My first pick is going to be a Jamal Williams anytime touchdown for him. He needs one touchdown to tie Barry Sanders for the team record for the Lions, and he's already said he's coming for Barry, so he knows about the record. I actually wouldn't be surprised if he gets two if he gets the opportunity here, uh, but I am taking Jamal Williams anytime touchdown. The next and last player prop for me, Pick number two is going to be Patrick Mahomes over two or over 324 and a half passing yards. He needs 430 to set the all-time record. Now, I don't think he's going to get to that on Saturday, but I do think that he's going to be throwing. Obviously, the Chiefs need to win that game to try and wrap up the number one seed overall. They're going to be trying their best to do that. Uh, the, the Raiders defense, eh, not that great, uh, especially when it comes to the passing game. So I'm taking Patrick Mahomes over 324 and a half passing yards in that game there. <laughs> Excuse me. Pick number three 
is going to be Jets plus three at the Dolphins. We've got no Tua, Tug of Iloa. We've got probably no Teddy Bridgewater, which means most likely Skylar Thompson will be starting at QB. And the Jets don't have Mike White, though, and he didn't play good last week. They are going with Joe Flacco. So I can fully see Dolphins are out of it, uh, or Dolphins need a miracle, but they have no Tua. They have no Bridgewater. You got to go with Skylar Thompson. You're going against a Jets team that has a good defense and is still trying to win games. They still have a chance as well. They've got Joe Flacco, the better veteran quarterback. I can see the Jets winning this game, but I'll take the point. So Jets plus three at the Dolphins is my number three pick. Pick number four, I'm going with Falcons. Minus four at home against the Buccaneers. The Bucs have nothing to play for and will most likely sit Brady and other starters quickly into the game. I'm, I'm expecting, you know, even a couple of drives in maybe after the first quarter, whatever it is, they'll sit down most of their guys. The Falcons are still trying to win a game with their new young quarterback. Uh, they have a lot of young players that they're trying to get involved. They're also trying to create that winning atmosphere. So I think they're going to be trying the entire time. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Bucks get out to an early lead, but then sit all of their players and the Falcons come back in the second half and are able to cover this minus four. So I'm taking fine Falcons minus four at home against the Bucks. The last game I'm going with. Packers minus four and a half at home against the Lions. Yes, I did take Jamal Williams anytime touchdown, and I do still think that he will score in this game. But the Lions, I mean, the Packers need to win this game to make the playoffs. And if the Seahawks beat the Rams earlier in that day in the four o'clock window, then the Lions have no playoffs to play for. I'm sure they'll still be trying. They're the Lions. They're always trying to get wins, but the Packers desperately need it. They've been pretty, playing really well. I do still think Jamal Williams will get that touchdown, but I think the Packers will cover minus four and a half and get themselves into the playoffs. That's just how I feel about that one. Those are my five picks right there. I don't know what to say at this point. You probably should just fade me. Those feel like good picks to me, but I, I have no idea. My compass is all off. I've had a terrible year of gambling. So let's get on to the guys that actually have done decently so far. We'll go with Cam's picks first, and then we'll go on to the leader in the clubhouse, which is Mendez. So here we go. We've got Cam's picks first. Hey, y'all. It's Cam here with the picks for the week. Uh, we got four in the NFL, one on the national championship game, so with the NFL. I'll take the Raiders plus nine. Uh, I just think the Chiefs have had a tough time covering big numbers this year, and this is basically the Raiders' Super Bowl. They have no reason to tank because they don't have their first round pick. Uh, so I think it'll be close. And then next, I got the Titans plus seven. Uh, the Titans always manage to keep it close in these situations, no matter what. And this is for the division, but obviously both teams are very motivated. I think too many points. Uh, next is the Panthers, Saints under 41 and a half. Um, these teams just both run the ball a ton, and this game is meaningless for both, so I think they're both just trying to get out of there. Uh, pick Cleveland under 40 is the next one. Uh, every Steelers game for like the last two months has gone under this number. Um, and the Browns offense still hasn't looked good since Lawson's been big. And then the national championship game will take. The first half under 31 and a half. I just think in these national title games, the teams come out uh, a little tight to start the game, and that's a big number. So to recap, Raiders plus nine, Titans plus seven, Panthers Saints under 41 and a half, 
Steelers Browns under 40, uh, TCU Georgia first half under 31 and a half. All right, there we go. We got some good picks there. I like that national championship pick. That's a smart one for Cam. He knows the college ball stuff. I was terrible last week trying to pick and act like I was going to know uh, anything about college picks. So I don't even know why I did that last week. But Cam knows his college picks. He's got one on the national championship game, that under in the first half. Some other picks as well that you heard there. We'll see if Cam is able to regain the lead in the in the end here the last week. He is within striking distance, but he, he's got to get ahead of Mendez. We'll see what Mendez has for his picks right now. Here we go. All right, week 18, big week. Uh, hate the board, hate everything about this week, but try and win the competition here. Try not to overthink it, so let's just get right into it. I got two players in the Jacksonville, Tennessee game. First play, Christian Kirk over 53 and a half receiving yards first Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee is the past final defense. He only needs 91 yards to get a 500K bonus. I think they're very aware of that. He's been pretty quiet lately. I think he's kind of due for a blow up spot. And I also have Trevor Lawrence over 265 and a half total yards for Tennessee. I was in between that and the passing yards. I'm going to go with the total yards because I could see him maybe at the worst case going for 215, running for 25. Uh, last game alone, he threw for 333 against Tennessee. I think the line's low because the last two games, he hasn't put up any numbers, but I like him in the spot. Um, third play, I'm going to go Jacoby Myers over 47 and a half with freezing yards for Buffalo. New England's obviously going to have to score to try to Keep up with Buffalo. They're not going to be able to run it down Buffalo's throat. Buffalo's secondary uh, very banged up even before the Monday night injury. Uh, that line's pretty low. He's maximum security blanket. I like that line. Um, next play, C.D. Lamb over seven and a half catches versus Washington. I don't love this one, but he needs 10 catches for the Cowboys single season record. He's been on fire lately. Back really zeroing in on him. Uh, Cowboys are still playing for something, too. So I can see them trying to force feed him the ball. And then the last one, Justin Justin over 90.5 receiving yards versus Chicago. He's 194 to set the record. Uh, I don't know if he's going to get the record, but he only had one catch last week. This is a smash spot. I think he's going to eat. And uh, that's it. So hopefully we can come out of here with a win, win some money. All right, buddy. Later. All right. You heard him. He's nervous, but he's ready to go. He's got his picks uh, with his player props. They've gotten him this far. So why not try and go with it to finish it all off? Like he said, week 18, finishing off the competition. We're just trying to get through it, uh, or at least I am at this point. We'll see which one of these guys wins it, and then who knows? Uh, next year we need to do better or maybe not even do this competition. It was terrible. First year was great. All, most of the guys over 500, big at the end of the year. There was between three of us out of the five people who played, uh, pretty much everyone over 500 this year, not so good. So uh, we'll we'll see how that goes. But that's going to do it for today's episode. Just want to say thank you very much to tune in to all of this nonsense that I put out there on the podcast, on the YouTube. Uh, we will be back again next week without the gambling competition uh, to continue talking about everything. So tune into that. But have a good weekend. I will see you later. Bye.